Welcome back to Create, stories of students creating their future through hard work, determination, and of course, personalized course curriculums at the University of Montana College of Business. Today we sat down with Andrew Connor, a recent graduate of the MSBA program and newly minted adjunct instructor in the program. We dove headfirst into the world of the Capstone Project. If you have a question you think data could help answer, or a project you're wanting to sink your teeth into but just haven't found the right mentors, this is sure to be an insightful episode for you. Just like that, we're here with Mr. Andrew Connor. Andrew, welcome to Create the Podcast here at the College of Business. We're really excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's a little frigid outside, um, but we're doing the podcast virtually, which helps. Neither of us had to commute to, to one another's locations. Um, but I'm really excited to chat because the capstone is something that I've talked to a few of our guests about. And I know that this semester, you're actually sort of leading the charge on the capstone side of things for the MSBA program. Uh, would you mind chatting about that a little bit? And for folks who aren't quite sure what the capstone is all about, or maybe who this is their first episode, like what what is the capstone project? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Masters in Business Analytics program is a real fire hose of just ton, it, the the depth and breadth is considerable. You know, you some people do it in a year, which blows my mind, and, and some people, you know, maybe take two or three years. And uh, you know, I took two years going through it, and it was still it, it's just a lot. You know, the professors are great, and they you learn so much about so many different things. You're just sort of awash in all of this information and ideas and skills and tools and things like that. And the capstone is really an opportunity at the end of the program. It's it's the last thing you do, or it's the thing you typically do in your last semester, maybe along with some other classes. But it, it is, as the name suggests, the capstone, the final thing. And it's really an opportunity to somehow try to you know synthesize all of those things that you've learned and put them into practice do something real, find a project, find a client, uh, do do something that demonstrates that you can put all this stuff together and and create something out of it. So it's just a really neat opportunity. There's a lot of leeway for students to choose stuff that they're interested in, both topically and also the kind of work they want to do. Do, do they want to do something sort of more analytical and leans more heavily on statistical techniques? Or are they more interested in doing something that's more uh, data engineering oriented, building data pipelines and cleaning and retrieving data and communication is another big aspect of of these kind of projects. So it's just a really uh, special part of the program that I, I really enjoyed as a student and uh, I've really just a few weeks in, but super excited to be teaching the students who are going through it this semester. And I've witnessed some of the capstone presentations. They're really cool. It happens sort of at a ceremonial event toward the end of the semester. You mentioned communication being a big part of that. And I couldn't agree more. I was really impressed always with uh, the clarity at which these individuals in the program could communicate really complicated statistical findings to a group of you know, 100 people who were very much not you know, statisticians or uh, data <laughs> right. analysts. So what, how was that, you know, when you were going through the program, um, I guess talk a little bit about how you're how you're coached on taking these and taking this data and communicating it in a digestible way. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of ways that that is touched on. You know, in in every class we get you know strong emphasis on writing clearly. We learn a lot about 
data visualization principles, you know, because there's a lot of a huge range of quality in terms of how you display data visually that can either be really effective and really clear and honest, or can really obscure things or be hard to read or hard to understand. And there's also, you know, we, we heard this from professors, we read articles about this, and I have heard this from other you know, professionals working in the data realm that one of the biggest missing things is people who can perform that sort of translation between the, the mathematics and the statistics and the data engineering and the manager or the public or the, like you said, you know, the people who may not be as well versed in data world and statistics and things like that. And so there is just a tremendous amount of opportunity professionally for that kind of thing. And also just a tremendous need in the world to do that, to perform that communication role and do that. So yeah, it just gets touched on in the program a lot. Like I said, through writing, uh, you know, verbal presentations, uh, visualization, other forms of mm -hmm. communication, to just make sure that people come out really with with strong skills in in that area. Yeah, what an important skill. You know, when you hear Masters of Science and Business Analytics, you think, oh, I'm going to learn these programs like Python and R, which you do, uh, but then you absolutely need to be able to get that message across. So your yeah, capstone. And that's, Talk that is, that is yeah. something that I'll just say, sorry to interrupt, but that is oh, that is definitely something that the University of Montana's MSBA program really considers sort of its strength is, is producing those kind of people who can uh, perform that role, can be good communicators, can be the bridge between the, you know, the, the technical aspects of projects and work and businesses and companies and things and, and everybody else. So that's definitely a, a kind of a, a badge of pride for the program. Does it become difficult maybe with a capstone or with any project? I would imagine, you know, if you're in the field of data, you have this assumption, you have this hypothesis before you even start looking at the data. That is, I know your capstone was around real estate. So maybe I'll use a real estate example. Like, oh, I have this assumption that Airbnbs in Missoula, I know this wasn't your capstone specifically, but Airbnbs in Missoula really impact the rental market of Missoula, like make it harder to find rentals. And so you you go out looking for, is, is there a problem in my thinking that, okay, if, I'm, if I went through the MSBA, I believe this to be true. So I'm going to go find data that supports that. I've heard some arguments that say, well, you can find that data and you can present that data in a way that make it seem like that's a problem when maybe it isn't. And maybe it is. I don't have the answer. But uh, Talk a little bit about that and how you approach that. What's the right way to approach that? What What do you learn in a, in a course like the in coursework like the and maybe it's an impossible question to answer in two no, minutes. No, it's not at all. No, <laughs> like, it's not at all. It's not at all. So you know, I think the the short answer is, you know, data science, uh, you know, aspires to adhere to the same sort of scientific method principles that uh, any science does. Right? You have a hypothesis and you mm -hmm. test it and you try to do it in a reproducible way and other people test it and and you know in theory and in its best situation or its best circumstances data analysis is a way to insulate yourself against confirmation bias and against mm -hmm. the biases that would lead you to do kind of exactly what you're describing which is to 
to come in with a preconceived notion and do nothing but gather evidence to support what you already thought was true and not you know, look to disconfirm that belief or challenge it or test it in an honest and legitimate way. So yeah, I mean, there's no way to perfectly protect against that. You know, you could come out of a program like this with all kinds of skills to go out and be a propagandist for whatever ideas you want to make a compelling case for and make beautiful graphs and charts and throw a bunch of numbers at things to just, you know, try to persuade people of stuff. But, you know, we also talk about the ethics of all of this stuff. Uh, that's a component of the program as well, is that, uh, you know, ethics, not only in terms of on this topic, like you're asking about uh, being honest and doing work that has integrity and, and mm -hmm. doing that in a realm that sometimes, you know, you might think, oh, statistics, that's really cut and dry or data, it's really cut and dry. And like, it's not, you know, there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of interpretation that goes into even rigorous work. Um, so that's one side of ethics is doing the sort of, you know, the most legitimately honest job you can on that. And then the other side is, looking at the ethics of data work in a broader sense. You know, there are all sorts of social implications to creating, I'll just give you one example. You know, there's there's a lot of argument, or not argument, there's a lot of discussion happening about what happens when you build predictive models on data sets from the past that have bias encoded in them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're building an algorithm to see who's more likely to default on a loan. Um, and you're doing it on a data set that uh, was influenced by the fact that there was discriminatory lending practices that disadvantaged certain groups of people who therefore were more likely to default on their loans. So then you train a model based on that and it says, oh, that group of people is more likely to default on their loan. And this mm -hmm. is this was just a neutral machine learning algorithm I ran, but in mm -hmm. truth, it was trained on a biased data set. So the ethics of examining that and always being sure that our work does not you know, sort of reproduce anything that is discriminatory or oppressive is also a big part of what we do. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the the source of the data that you're using to build these. You know, that obviously is a, is a huge factor. Yeah. So your capstone project when, when you were in the program, um, talk to our listeners about what you chose, why you chose it, and sort of walk us through that process of deciding, you know, how am I going to, what am I going to choose? I'm guessing there's a lot of different directions you were thinking. I'm curious about this topic and this topic. How did you land on a, on a subject? Yeah. So I had a really neat opportunity that came out of the, out of the program. So it was a little bit, a little bit unusual in the sense that, well, I don't know if it's that unusual, but the, my first year of the program the Missoula Organization of Realtors reached out to the MSB program because they were looking for a student to help kind of revamp their annual housing market report. So for, I can't remember, 14 years or something like that, prior to that, they had produced this annual report, maybe even more than that, something like that, 14-ish years. They produced this annual report that had was chock full of uh, demographic information about the Missoula community, and the housing market and the rental market and the supply chain of housing production and things like that. And it was this great report, uh, really thorough and had a lot of great stuff in it. Um, but they were doing it strictly as like a hard copy static report. Um, you know, they were mm -hmm. producing actually like sort of this really nice glossy publication, um, mm -hmm. which was great for having a thing in your hands and handing out and, you know, right. they produce a PDF and send it around in recent years. And so they were looking for uh, basically a student to kind of 
you know, refresh it, get a new set of eyes on it and and think of just think it through. And what I proposed to them was to actually turn it into instead of it being a static snapshot, you know, once a year thing, turn it into an interactive, you know, dynamic living online set of data dashboards of a lot of the same data plus some other stuff. Mm. And to their credit, they were excited about that and they went for it. So I spent about a year working with them on the initial implementation of that dashboard for the Missoula, greater Missoula area. And so that was really cool. That was just this great project that totally came out of the being in the program. And I did it, you know, I worked on part of it as an independent study and I got support from the faculty and I just learned a lot putting this, you know, skills to use kind of immediately while I was still in the program. And then as the capstone was rolling around, they wanted to create a new dashboard for four other counties that are in their service area that surround Missoula. So a lot of the same data, a lot of the same information, but a dashboard for those other geographies as well. And so this was a really cool opportunity because I had done this kind of V1 version of the dashboard for the Missoula area and I did my best and it worked well, but you know, I mm -hmm. learned a lot along the way and I definitely was like, if I do this again, I'll do all these things very differently. And I wanted to make it more automated and more kind of, uh, there was still a lot of manual data acquisition and things like that. So my capstone was actually building this second dashboard, cool. learning all the lessons that I had from the first one and just taking it up to like sort of a new level of sophistication, uh, improving not only the front end and all the visualizations and stuff, but really building out the data pipeline on the back end in mm -hmm. a much more uh, robust way. So that's what my capstone was, was that was the version two for the surrounding counties. Very cool. And you can still access that, correct? Like users, I could go on today and sort of poke, poke around on that. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. It's um, missoularealestate.com is the uh, Missoula Organization of Realtors website. Okay. Uh, missoularealestate.com. And then there's a tab up there on the top of their website that says it's called market data. And both the five, five Valleys housing report, which is the Missoula area, and then the four county housing report, which is the surrounding counties, uh, are both on there, as well as a couple other little data projects that I have done for them tracking um, data related stuff in the cool. in, in their service area. We'll make sure to link to that for folks so they can have access to that and check it out. Um, I remember seeing that and being really blown away. It's like, whoa, this is real time. That's the thing with those printouts is as soon as you print it, the data is technically out of date, right? You're yeah. looking at old data. But that was really cool, really cool. Yeah, to so see. we've got stuff on their website now that is updating weekly, some of it's monthly, some of it's quarterly, some of mm -hmm. it's annually. And it just, yeah, it allows for it to be, as you say, sort of forever as current as possible. And what data sources is are were you getting that from? There's just public, uh, is it like property data? So the... The, it sort of breaks down into two main categories. One mm. is a lot of the like social and demographic data. Uh, and the overwhelming majority of that comes from a couple of different divisions of the US Census. Uh, some of it also comes from the IRS. Some of it comes from like the Montana Department of Labor. Some of it comes from some local service providers. You know, we've got um, uh, information on there about the unhoused population in Missoula and about housing vouchers mm. and financial education and affordability, housing affordability, stuff like that. Um, and then the we we all the rental data comes from surveys that are done of 
property management companies in the Missoula area to gather that information. Cool. And then the sale, sales data, which is a big chunk of it also, that all comes from the MLS or the multiple listing service, which is the kind of record of uh, real mm -hmm. estate transactions that happen. Cool. And that costs money, the ML, did you need to pay to get that data? Was there some data you needed to pay to get access to? I didn't need to pay for any of it. Uh, the All of the census data is free. All that sort of public social demographic data is free. All the data mm -hmm. from our the partners who are on the housing committee that works with the MOR to sort of keep this um, you know current, they, they all contribute that stuff. And then the MLS data, you uh, because I'm working with the MOR, I have access to it through that channel. A lot of that data is not, is not available, you know, or not easily accessible to the general public just because it's proprietary and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's available to like real estate agents and certain other uh, professional providers, but not the general public. Got it. Got it. Well, very cool. Well, I'm excited for hopefully our listeners to check that out and see your work in action. Um, you should put a display ad up that is like for WordPress or something that every time someone views it, you get, you know, 20 cents or something like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll look into Mo that. <laughs> monetize off of that. <laughs> um, so you're teaching now. You're adjunct instructor at the College of Business, actually teaching the capstone. So talk to us about how this transition happened. What, you know, we're a couple of weeks into the spring semester here, your first semester with the instructor title. Um, how's that? How's everything going? Well, I, we should get some of the students in here and ask them how's it going. Let's go. Yeah, it's a tough gig. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I finished. I had my last class just this previous semester. I, I had done everything, including the capstone, through the spring of last year. Um, but I had one lingering class that I needed to finish uh, just because of the way my schedule worked out. And it just so happened that the uh, person who has been teaching the capstone for the last several years was ready to move on. And so they were looking to fill the slot and they asked if I'd be interested. And, you know, I really, you know, I think it is so valuable. You know, they always say, I don't know, there's probably a pithy way they say this, but you know, it's like, if you want to really like learn stuff well, like you have to, teach it. You know what I mean? You have to sort of like learn something to a certain depth to really feel comfortable teaching it. And so I really like that challenge to be like, okay, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. I've been doing some work out in the world for, you know, a short period of time. Um, but man, I'm really going to have to like really make sure <laughs> that I feel good about this stuff if I'm going to step into this role as a teacher, you know? And yeah. so, so that was exciting to me to to sort of have that challenge kind of right away to be like, it's like, it's it's almost like the next level of capstone, right? It's like, now I have to sort of, again, you know, synthesize everything and really sort of make sure that I'm retaining stuff and going back and looking through everything and talking to people and doing research and reading stuff to really feel like I'm on top of my game. So just on a personal level, it's been kind of a great challenge in that way. And then, like you said, the capstone is just such a neat thing where there's all of these every student just sort of brings their own interests and their own creativity to the table. And so, you know, every week I get to interact with 17 different projects and, and kind of, you know, learn about all this cool stuff. Some, a lot of which I didn't really know anything about. And it, so it's really, yeah. it's a fun journey for me to be 
you know, not a like a full collaborator on these projects, but kind of a light collaborator, you know, as I'm supporting them right. working through it. It's just, it's a really, it's just been fun for me. And I, I hope that, <laughs> I hope it's good for them as well, because <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so That's cool. Um, yeah. And um, it's also a, a nice extension, something that I've been working on with some of the faculty and administrators of the MSBA program over the last couple of years is this project called Missoula Data City, where, mm -hmm. you know, the city of Missoula has tons of data and a lot of it is, you know, sort of untapped or, uh, you know, they, it's like everybody's doing their job. So they don't have a lot of time necessarily to sit back and build dashboards right. or do analysis, speculative analysis or exploratory stuff. And so they have a lot of data that has all this potential. You know, they do, mm -hmm. they do some of that, they do a lot of that, but they just, they're, they produce so much data that they, you know, could never fully have, you know, they don't have infinite capacity to, to exploit what, that data, you know, in a good would way. Be an example of like, uh, like ridership for mountain line bus or like anything. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can give you one example of uh well let me yeah let me actually just explain the collaboration a little bit yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to uh to this right so the um so basically we you know we looked at the situations like okay the city's got all this data and they have a real interest you know they are really making an effort to deepen their data-driven decision-making practices and really mm -hmm. develop a data-oriented culture at the city and they're doing great work in that way and we have um, all these students who need work to do both in classes uh, as independent studies and you know independent projects and then also as capstone type situations. So mm -hmm. uh, we've been working to sort of develop that relationship and identify these projects and we have a great group of collaborators at the city. And you know this we've been doing things on kind of an ad hoc basis over the last couple of years. And so for example, you know I mentioned unhoused data earlier, the department, at the city who deals with unhoused data, they've been providing anonymized data to a class in the program called Telling Stories with Data. And basically just saying like, have at it, you know, what what can we learn? You know, what do we see about trends over time as far as number of people who are entering the system or the average ages or how gender and race break down over time? You know, just stuff that they're busy providing services, you know, they don't have the right. time to sort of do all that, you know, and so the, so, you know, second year in a row now classes um, in the telling stories with data class have been doing all this kind of analysis for them. Uh, we had a student last year who did a capstone project on analyzing parking and uh, parking revenue downtown and mm. things like that. Uh, I worked on a project through the kind of Missoula data city collaboration. I'm still working on it. They, you know, the city has to do these inventories of all their gas and electrical use. And so there's two aspects of that. One, they were sort of like, have been having to manually extract this data from like PDFs of every utility bill for like hundreds of accounts, all the city accounts and like interim and spreadsheets and stuff like that. So trying to help them mm -hmm. work with, uh, you know, with the utility companies to get that data in a more manageable form. And then also building a reporting dashboard for them so they can look at energy use and break it down, you know, slice it by department or slice it yeah. by, you know, different parts of the city or specific accounts and look at the trends over time and see how things change and, and mm -hmm. so forth. So that was, that's all stuff that had been happening on kind of an ad hoc basis. And this year we've been formalizing the collaboration a little bit more. And we now have four projects that are capstone projects that arose from the data city, Missoula data city collaboration. So oh, wow. 
Yeah, so we've got one on building permits, uh, internal reporting on building permits, and also building sort of a public-facing dashboard for that. Uh, the Missoula Redevelopment Authority does all this great urban redevelopment work, and so we have a student that's building a, like an interactive exploratory data analysis map that will allow people to look at the different projects and see what the economic impacts have been uh, over time. Um, and we have another person working with the Parks Department on sort of metrics and comparative analysis between the city of Missoula and other communities. And uh, then another another folk, uh, person who's working with the uh, Community Development Planning and Innovation Department to kind of wrangle data on all these different topics like unhoused uh, populations and brown fields and energy, just a couple different things to, to sort of elevate their internal reporting and tracking and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's just been great. It's been really cool. The, the students are excited about the projects. It's filling a real need in the community and it's kind of moving our whole city closer to being a really data forward place, data forward community. That's yeah, that's amazing. What a, yeah, what a powerful use and these students who I'm guessing the students also were thinking, well, I don't have a idea that I'm super excited about. And then, oh, here's this Missoula Data City initiative that here's some ideas you can take on that would be useful, of course, for Capstone, but also for the city of Missoula. And yeah. you said that's something you're helping spearhead? Yeah, I've been working with uh, John Chandler's another uh, faculty member in the department. And he has actually been having conversations sort of on and off with people at the city for years, well before mm -hmm. I sort of came into the picture. And I, you know, early... I don't remember when, but early during my time in the program, I kind of asked him about that because I was just really interested in the whole world of like civic data. You know, there's all these cool examples mm -hmm. of cities around the country and around the world who, you know, either have a really, really robust sort of public facing data. You know, they, they have yeah. really structures in place where they make a lot of their data available or they do a lot of analysis that they sort of post on a data page that's allow providing these kind of exploratory tools where you can look at like, oh, here are all the here are all the calls to 911 and charted by geography mm. and call type and response time. And they just time create these things day. that people can really yeah. yeah, exactly. Just doing stuff like that all the way up through, you know, like Taiwan has this really amazing collaborative city data or um not city like not you know uh, countrywide kind of data so, you know uh, i struggle to <laughs> to describe it because it's sort of a lot it, yeah. uh, it's you know they 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 actually engage in kind of collaborative policy and decision making through this kind of data driven process with the general population you know they open these things yeah. up that are kind of almost like these hackathons of like hey let's figure out how to improve, you know, energy efficiency seven, citywide. Here's a data set, everybody go to work and let's talk. And there's this ongoing, you know, real dialogue about things like that. And so that's, yeah, you know, that's the kind of direction that um, I just thought was really cool, would love the city to go with. So I brought that up to John. He was like, oh, I've been talking on and off. We've had, a, you know, started having conversations with the city and just really clicked with this great group of folks over there who's got, you know, shares a lot of the same interests and in, in goals and in, in moving this collaboration forward. It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting stuff. Andrew, congratulations on all of it. It's a really exciting time. Um, for folks who are in your program or in your course right now, are there still some that are trying to figure out what to do for Capstone or by now, two, three weeks in, 
they're like, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing. Or there's still some folks that are like, I'm still not sure. Everyone has identified their project. It's okay. Not, there you go. It's not outside the realm of possibility that, you know, we'll have something will be disrupted and they'll have to change <laughs> yeah, course. Right. But but at, at this point, at least, everyone has got got something identified. Something they're excited about. Cool. Yeah. And then there is a, would you call it a competition to see who gets to present these ideas at the Capstone Showcase? Or how does that work? So the way that we're doing it this year is that uh, everyone is going to have an opportunity to present at the showcase if they want to. So cool. um, in the weeks leading up to the showcase, we will have kind of the full-blown formal presentations of the projects in class, yeah. which people are welcome to come to if they want to reach out. You're you're totally invited and welcome. Cool. Uh, okay. But then, yeah, the showcase is the the final sort of situation where that's the thing you described, which is kind of the celebratory end of the semester um, celebration of the students and their work. And that is absolutely open to the public. That's the whole, you know, one of the kind of main reasons for its existence is to bring the public in so that they can, uh, you know, can really experience that work and see all the amazing stuff that the students have done. And that is going to be on May 3rd, which is a Wednesday. Wednesday, May 3rd, cool. from roughly 4 to 7. And the uh, location is still TBD, but probably somewhere on campus. Um, okay. And so, yeah, students who uh, want to participate in the showcase in a presentational way will do shorter versions of their presentation. And yeah, like you said, it's just kind of a really neat thing where you can come. Everybody's projects will be on display in one way or another through posters or you know visual sort of representations and then some subset of folks will be actually doing presentations of their work. Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds like an event that I'll definitely be at to see yeah. pro probably both. So yeah, I'll have to put that on the calendar and there'll be some um, food and refreshments and so yeah, all the more reason. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Fun. Uh, cool. Well, Andrew, this has been really great. Uh, was there anything else that I didn't ask you you were hoping I would ask, or did we do a pretty good job of covering the, the capstone and all things uh, adjunct faculty, new new role? Nope, I think you got it. Uh, cool. I guess the, the last thing I would just encourage people to, you know, if this if the program piques your interest at all, like reach out. You know, the, the department and the faculty are incredibly warm and friendly and open and inviting. And you know, the whole program's entire orientation is towards, you know, like you can be successful in this program if you're committed and you're really, you know, willing to work hard. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to be already be an expert in this stuff. You don't have to already be a programmer. I mean, I came in with no programming skills in the in the sort of software tools that we used. Um, you know, I took statistics in college 25 years ago, <laughs> whenever it was. You know, I, more than 25 years ago. And so, it is really oriented to take people where they're at. And, and move them through this process. And so if this, cool. you know, this is a great field that has tons of opportunity and there's lots of exciting, different kind of creative ways to get into it. And, you know, the MSBA program is just really, I've had a wonderful experience with it. All the classmates I've known have had really positive experiences. So if there's something that interests you, like definitely reach out, check in, you know, either to me or to anyone else at the department and come learn more because um, it's, it's a place that you're invited to come if you're interested. That's awesome. And are you okay, Andrew, if we put your contact info in our show notes as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah, people should feel free to reach out directly if uh, if they'd like to. Cool. Andrew, thanks again. This has been an awesome episode. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks.
thank you everyone for listening to this amazing episode with Andrew. If you have questions about any of the graduate programs here at the University of Montana, feel free to send questions our way. We'll leave all the information in the show notes, or you can visit umt.edu business to learn more. This has been a podcast by the University of Montana College of Business in collaboration with us, Pintler Group Digital Marketing, based right here in Missoula, Montana. <laughs>